You are listening to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. Our vision is to treasure Christ above all else and live for more. Well, good morning. Yeah, this is this is fun having uh, been able to uh, be here for Ovi this morning to give Ovi and Emma a chance to be with their family. So Ovi asked me oh, probably six months ago when we were having breakfast. He said, "Would you come?" for a couple of Sundays and speak on the theme of discipleship. Uh, for those of you who don't know us, this is my wife, Sarah, sitting next to Zoyana, And uh, we work with an international mission organization called The Navigators. About, uh, f- about 4,000 of us in, uh, I think, 125 countries. And uh, we particularly work with our large city ministries like Detroit and Vancouver. And our whole goal is how do we bring the good news of Christ to those who won't come to church. If they come to church, we'll get them sooner or later, right? I mean, all of you are such wonderful people. As soon as they meet you, they're going to want to come to faith in Christ, right? But how do we reach those who won't come to church? That's, that's where our ministry focuses on. And as Ovi asked me to speak these two Sundays, here's the themes I'm going to be speaking on. Today is why would we choose to live our lives as disciples of Christ? Why? And then next Sunday, I'll be speaking on if we choose to live our lives as disciples of Christ, what does that look like? And one of the things that looks like is potluck dinners at church after the service. So we're going to stay. So. <laughs> and this is an important concept because the last command that Jesus gave before he went home again to be with his father was, as, was this. As you are going through life, Help people from every nation become my disciples, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Now, he didn't say to help them become Christians. And he didn't say to help them become believers in God. And he didn't say to help them become churched. Uh, Those things have meaning at the right time, obviously. But his emphasis was first and foremost on helping them become disciples. So if someone were to ask you, why should I consider living my life as a disciple of Christ? What would you say to them? And do you know what that means? I want to start with a question this morning. So I'm going to get you involved with me here. Uh, Of all the people in the world, how many of them are people of faith? Of all the people in the world, how many of them are people of faith? Pardon? Eight billion. Eight billion. What percentage? Hundred percent. Why'd you say hundred percent? Okay, the answer is hundred percent. Everyone, everyone has faith in something. Everyone. Lee Iacocca, uh, if you remember that name, was the CEO of the Ford Motor Company uh, in the '60s, and he turned he turned the company around by introducing the Mustang for those of you who are car enthusiasts, back in 1964. Uh, And in his autobiography, uh, towards the end of his life, he wrote this. Here I am in the twilight of my life, still trying to figure out what it's all about. But I can tell you this, fame and fortune is for the birds. That is what he had faith in. If I just can get fame and fortune, 
then I'll have life. And he got it, and he realized, there's no life there. Others have faith in themselves. Others have faith in a philosophy. Others have faith in a religion. Others have faith in luck or fate. You buy that lottery ticket, sooner or later it's going to hit. Others have faith in indulging in the pleasures of this world. Others have faith in joining something, a gang, a political movement, a political party, a movement, even Weight Watchers. Uh, but everyone has faith in, in something. Uh, Fred Rogers from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood used to put it this way, the future belongs to those who give it hope. So if you can give hope to someone, you can get them to believe in what you believe. One example of this is you know, how skilled advertising is today. See if you recognize this. If you just buy one of these things, then you'll be really happy. And in fact, if you buy one, we'll throw in a second one. And we'll give you free shipping. Wow, i got to get that right away. Or look at this group of young adults. If you drink this beer or go to this casino, then you'll really have life, right? Put your faith in those things. That's, that'll give you life. Of course, it's all a trick to simply manipulate us. Or think of it this way. Now listen carefully to this question. If I could convince you to believe a lie, could I destroy your life? Yeah. Think of all the lies that people have bought into that have destroyed their lives, and then look back, why in the world did I ever believe that? Several years ago, someone who had recently opened his life to Christ asked me, what is the most important verse in the Bible when it comes to understanding our faith? And it took me about six months to answer that question because immediately a whole bunch of verses came to my mind. But I pondered and thought, and when I got all done, I came up with Galatians 2, verse 20, where it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This is what I see in this verse. When I come to faith in Christ, a death occurs. I allow my old way of living to die, the way of having faith in myself or something else, so that I can now live all of my life by faith in Christ. That's the definition of a disciple. Someone who lives by faith in him, believing he will guide them through life. So he becomes my master, I become his student, I put myself in a position to learn from him and obey him, trusting that he knows what he's talking about and will lead me into fullness of life as I walk with him. After all, he conquered death, he has the power of an indestructible life, he created all things, so I think I'm going to trust him. I, I think he might have the answers for life. So I love Bible verses like John 8, verse 12. It says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Oh, I need that. Or John 16, 13, where Jesus said, when the spirit of truth comes, 
whom I will send, he will guide you. He will guide you. He will guide you into all truth. Wow, what a promise. Or Psalm 1611, Lord, you make known to me the path of life. Oh, oh, I need that. (laughs) In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. They're amazing promises. Discipleship, putting yourself in the position or in the posture of being an active learner at the feet of the Lord Jesus. Listen, learn, apply, follow, obey. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight and 29, Jesus said, Come unto me, all of you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The phrase, uh, take my yoke upon you, uh, reminds me that I am, I'm pulling a plow through life. and Life can get pretty heavy, uh, but I don't have to do it alone. Uh, hook your plow up with a dual yoke with the Lord Jesus. Let him be the big oxen, you the little oxen. Let him be the one who has all the experience, and you be the apprentice. Uh, pull through life together with him. Learn from him as you go, and you'll find rest for your souls. That's the promise. The word disciple in the Greek New Testament is where we get our word math or mathematics. So it has the connotation of being a student, to enroll in a course, to study, to sit at the feet of someone who is the teacher, uh, to come to learn, to be instructed. Uh, One example of the word that is used, of this word when it's used in the New Testament is in Matthew 27, 57. As evening approached, there was a rich man from Arameth named Joseph who had himself become a disciple of Christ. We got the next verse? Yes, there we are. Uh, Had become a disciple of Christ. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. So Joseph was the owner of the tomb where Jesus was buried. Uh, And as Joseph had followed Jesus around and began to understand who he really was, he made a decision to become a disciple of Jesus. You don't become a disciple of Jesus without making that decision. It just doesn't happen. It's a decision that, okay, I am going to sit at his feet and learn from him. So the question becomes, have I made that decision to be a disciple of Christ? And am I growing in that? Um, I'm going to test your American history here for a moment. You ready? Go back to your 10th grade American history. When I think of what it means to be a disciple of Christ, um, I like to think of the story of Sakakawea. Can anyone tell me who Sakakawea was? Anybody know? Pardon? She was the guide. She was the guide for Lewis and Clark. She was a 16-year-old Native American girl from the Lemhi Shoshan tribe who helped Lewis and Clark explore the Louisiana Territory. And she had grown up in the mountainous region around Montana and Ohio and Idaho, where the Columbia River Valley you know, ends. It starts in the Pacific Ocean, weaves all the way in. It's a long river. And uh, it would have been foolish for Lewis and Clark not to listen to her. Can you imagine that? Hey, Lewis and Clark, you know, I've lived here all my life. We've got to go this way. <laughs> I've gone that. We're going this way. Uh, yeah, if you want to take an extra five weeks, because over there is this and this and this, you'll never get to where you want to go. You've got to go this way. 
It's the same way with the Lord Jesus. Lord, I will never say to you, that's foolish, I'm going to do my own thing. Because you know the path of life. And so I've chosen the Lord Jesus to be my sakakawiya in life. He knows exactly where I need to go to find life. So it's, it's, and so it's so much more than telling, the Jesus, telling Jesus that I want to trust him for forgiveness and the gift of eternal life. Now, let me back up on that. Becoming a disciple of Christ, now listen to this comment, is so much more, is so much more than telling the Lord Jesus that you want to trust him for forgiveness and the gift of eternal life. That's true. That's true. But it's so much bigger than that. It's about all of life. Um, and there's two verses I'd like you to consider here. One is Romans 5, verse 10. Um, it goes like this. For if while we were enemies of God, we are reconciled to him by the death of his son, how much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Now, when we as Christians oftentimes present what we call the gospel, we stop at the first half of that verse. If we were enemies of God, we are reconciled to him by the death of his son. And we stop there. We call that the gospel. But that just gets you on the track. That just gets you running the race. That just gets you going. It gets you in the right position with God so that now he can give you life. So run. It, to me, it's kind of like the illustration of how many of you are love to run? Anybody in here love to run? Okay. What happens, Dan, if someone gave you a $500 pair of world-class running shoes? Okay, you, you wouldn't set them on your mantle and your bookcase and admire them? You'd use them, you'd put them on. Well, that's what it's like when we open our lives to Christ. We have this $500 pair of running shoes, put them on, run, run with Christ, take advantage of everything that he does for you. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then the other verse is Acts 3, 18 and 19. But what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets that his Christ should suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again that your sins may be blotted out. Now, again, that's where most people stop the gospel. They call that the gospel. Well, all of that is true. But again, that just gets you on the track. That just gets Christ in you. Now run with him. And so it's the last part then says that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Yes, you need to accept Christ as your Savior. Yes, you need to acknowledge your sin and your need for a Savior. But when you do, that's just the start of the race. You know, run with him. Let me share a few of the verses, on, again, why I'm a disciple of Christ. Look at Colossians 2, verse 9 and 10. For in him, the Lord Jesus, the whole fullness of God dwells in bodily form. And you have come to fullness of life in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Whoa. <laughs> I want that. Or John 10, verses 9 and 10. I am the door to life. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it, what? Abundantly. Whoa. <laughs> or John 6, 35. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Come every day to me, and you'll never be hungry. Believe in me, and you'll never be thirsty. In other words, if I'm the one 
I am the one who can meet your deepest thirst and your deepest hungers, which all of us have. But the problem we face today is the number of voices, the number of voices that are in the world today just screaming at us. TV, nightly news broadcast, internet, social media, politically correct groups all crying out, this is the path of life. Do this. You've got follow. Recently, I met a career counselor in, in Plymouth. Uh, he does a lot of work with young adults, and he put it this way. He said, what I'm seeing is there's a whole ecophony, which is a biological term for many, 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 many types of a plant. Or, and he said there's a whole ecophony of voices, a whole range of voices in the world today, and young adults have no anchor points in their lives to gauge what is true. How do I, how do I measure if that is true? Where, where do I start to look? So if it sounds good, they believe it. If it's politically correct, they believe it. If it is told to them over and over and over with more and more and more volume, they believe it. If it fits their preferred lifestyle, they believe it. If the Supreme Court says it's true, it's got to be true, right? It's got to be. (laughs) If there's peer pressure, they believe it so as to not rock the boat. But most people's minds are shaped by what they read on social media or watch on TV, by peer pressure or by the loudest voices that shame them if they don't agree. This is the opposite of a disciple of Christ. A disciple of Christ says, no, I put all those voices in this box, but the voice I'm going to listen to is the voice of Christ. I'm going to learn how to do that. Uh, For fun, I googled the word gospel this past week on Wikipedia, and when it came up, I read it. Friends, that write-up is 150% wrong. I don't know who wrote the, but you read it, and it's just, it's like, who wrote this? Completely wrong, completely out in left field. Well, somebody's going to read that and go, oh, that's the gospel? And they'll be deceived. So I hope someone will rewrite it. Uh, Isaiah Thomas was a 12-time NBA All-Star. Remember that name if you follow NBA basketball? with the Detroit Pistons from 1981 to 1994. And when he, was, when he retired at his press conference, someone asked him what, what he felt was the greatest accomplishment that he ever had in his NBA career. And of course, they were looking for things like, well, being an all-star or, or uh, winning a world championship. Uh, but he looked right at the camera and straight-faced, and this is what he said, My greatest accomplishment in my NBA career is that I never allowed myself to succumb to the whacked-out values of this entertainment industry. Reporters all sat there. They didn't know what to say. (laughs) And I like that. I think I want that on my tombstone. Denny Williams never allowed himself to succumb to the whacked-out values of this world. (laughs) Um, So more and more, I I ask the question, when someone is telling me, this is the path of life, I said, no, 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 stop a second. Wait a second. Who says? Who says? Or if I buy into what you're saying, what does it promise me? Or if I embrace your values and way of thinking, where will it lead me? Where will I end up? I mean, let's talk about this. Let's, let's really be honest about this. And ultimately, does it guarantee me escape from death? Because if I die, all your answers to life are a bunch of 
baloney. <laughs> You've got to have escape from death as part of your answer to life. Otherwise, ultimately, it's no good. That's why I believe in the Lord Jesus. So be careful what you allow to come into your mind and through your eyes and ears. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 6, he said, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is sound, your whole body is full of light. But if your eye is not sound, your whole body would be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. For no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't listen to two people at once. So be careful what you allow to go into your mind, into your eyes. You choose who you're going to allow to be your master, who you're going to listen to and learn from. Isaiah 58, 11. And again, this is two verses on why I've chosen the Lord Jesus. Isaiah 58, 11. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire with good things and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden like a spring of water who waters fail not. Wow. Or John 4.14, Jesus said, If anyone drinks the living water, I give them, they will never thirst again and will be forever satisfied. For when you drink the water I give you, it will become a river of living water springing up, welling up, flooding you with endless life. And let me make a transition here. There's a but here. But if we're going to trust the Lord Jesus to choose to become his disciple, I believe it starts with trusting his word. Jesus said in John 8, 31 and 32, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Uh, Lifeway Ministries did a study in 2011. You can find this on the internet. Uh, on the most important factors, if you're going to grow as a disciple of Christ. And I believe they, if I have my information right, they ask over 4,000 brothers and sisters in Christ who are actively involved in discipling others, helping others walk as disciples of Christ. And when they got done, they came up with eight factors that they felt were critical if you're going to grow as a disciple of Christ. Number one, number one was personal engagement in God's word. You can't live off what the pastor preaches with you on Sunday morning. You've got to have that personal engagement in God's word. So Matthew 4, 4, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Personal engagement in God's word. I like the paraphrase of Romans 12, verse 2. It says, stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will, a will that is beautiful, satisfying, perfect, pleasing, and good. And as you're in the word, it's like taking a bath. You just wash the thinking of the world out of your mind, and you begin to recognize God's voice. You begin to have his thinking. Uh, there was a devotional, there's a devotional out there called Praying Through the Bible by Tyndale uh, House uh, Publishers. And on September 4th, let me read you their devotional. What a wondrously encouraging thought that God desires to write his ways and words on our hearts. How amazing it is to think that the God we serve 
the one who commands the winds and the waves and the whole universe, also commits himself to being our personal instructor and guide. We have, only to, we have only to apply our hearts to his instruction to present ourselves before him. He will not only take the initiative, but also promises to teach us. And how do we apply our hearts? By applying them and our minds to his word, being in his word daily to learn and align our lives with what he is teaching us. And be careful and carefully giving heed to those who teach us God's word as well. As we do this, God himself will teach us and lead us to a wholehearted trust in him. Mark 4.20 says, And the seed that fell on the good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word, which then produces a harvest of 30, 60, even 100 times as much as has been planted. Good soil means my heart is good. I want to learn. I, I set myself before the Lord. I make it a priority to learn from him. That's a good heart. Uh, and that seed grows in there and produces all types of life in us. Just wonderful. Align your life with God's word. Bob Duco, WMUZ, you know that name, the radio? Uh, back on uh, June 13th, I happened to be driving somewhere, and he, made, he was quoting a study by Arizona Christian University that was reported by the Barnard Group. In the study, they interviewed a whole bunch of pastors from all different types of churches. And when they got done, they made this comment. Only 37% of the pastors they interviewed embraced a biblical worldview. In other words, they would say, no, I don't agree with, I don't agree with the Bible. I, I got my own worldview. Only 37%. The culture, friends, are discipling us, is discipling us today. We need to be discipling the culture. Uh, a friend of mine uh, sent these thoughts to me earlier this month. Uh, Tom loves to spend time in the Word each morning, but once or twice a week he'll spend an extra 10, 15 minutes and just journal, just write. Uh, and this is what he wrote this past week. Have you noticed that believers and unbelievers alike can make sweeping judgments about the Bible despite rarely, sometimes never, opening it for themselves. The latter may be deeply convinced it's outdated or even irrelevant, yet they have never actually checked it out. Folks rely on hearsay maybe because they hope it's not true. Then there are believers who believe all the right things about the scriptures, but rarely wade into them personally. A person might confidently assert that God's word is their, final, is their vital soul food. Man should not live by bread alone. And then live a life of spiritual anorexia. Why the strong opinions with weak engagement on both sides? I'm not sure I know, but I'm certain of this. The essence of sin, which has made an utter wreck of things, is the stubborn, is the stubborn determination that I would judge for myself what is right or wrong. That's the essence of sin. Read Genesis. To be, light, to be light on the Bible, to be light on the Bible, while supposedly following Jesus, leaves us open to the disastrous warning that we find in Proverbs 14.12 and Proverbs 16.25 that says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Oh, it seems right to me. Ooh, you better take a second look. Denny, I pray that you and I will cling desperately to him and his word, coming to love it more and more, it's not about theological expertise. 
That's not why we get in the Word, although there's a place for that. It says, Moses said, it is your very life. Deuteronomy 32, 47. So may our hearts be like Jeremiah 15, 16. When I discovered your words, I devoured them. They became my joy and my heart's desire. Delight, for I bear your name, O Lord God of heaven's army. Remember that the 66 books in the Bible are a collection of real events, real people, real historic eyewitness life situations, men and women trying to come with grips with real-life issues down through over 1,500 years of history. God revealing himself and who he is and showing us the path of life through stories. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. First of all, first of all, first of all, in your faith, or if you're going to walk as a disciple of Christ, first of all, number one, above everything else, you have to understand that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the impulse of men, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. It's 100% accurate. It can be totally trusted, every single verse. More and more and more every year that is being proved. If you have problems with something in the Bible or don't understand something, don't throw it away. Just assume you don't know enough yet. You haven't been exposed to enough yet to understand. Remember, God's word is not wrong simply because it doesn't fit your preferences. Remember that. Or because you don't understand it yet. Focus on applying what you understand, and the rest will come later. Psalms 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping, of them, in keeping, of, and in keeping them there is great reward. The number one thing you need to do if you're going to grow as a disciple of Christ is personal engagement in God's word. The Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans starts and ends the book with the phrase, the obedience of faith. He said, I'm an apostle sent by God to bring about the obedience of faith in others. And then at the end of the book, he uses the same phrase, I pray that the obedience of faith would be in your life. So this wonderful book of Romans which tells us about all the salvation that Christ has done for us and how to live as disciples. Salvation chapters 1 to 11, how to live chapters 12 to 16, but it's bookend with this phrase, obedience of faith. Faith is always seen in obedience. Uh, I came to Christ my freshman year in college, and as I grew in my faith over the next uh, two years, God began to clearly point out to me um, three areas of my life that he wanted me to let go of to surrender to him. And when I finally surrendered those three areas to God in obedience to him, what I knew he was saying to me, um, it was like a dam of living water that broke in my heart. And the Holy Spirit began to work in my life 
and through my life in amazing ways. But I had to get over that area of disobedience. And I've learned from that that disobedience blocks the work of the Holy Spirit. It's like the Holy Spirit says, okay, stop. If you're going to be disobedient, we can't go any farther. We got to let's work on this one. Whereas obedience just opens up the floodgates of the Holy Spirit working in you. In 2012, Kyle Eidelman was a pastor. He wrote a book called Not a Fan. Have you read it? It's a pretty good book. It's called Not a Fan, Becoming a Completely Committed Follower of Jesus. So a lot of people are fans of Jesus. Oh, yeah, I believe in God. Oh, yeah, I like Jesus. I'm a, I'm a fan. He's a good guy. But in the uh, introduction, this is what he writes. Are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a passionate disciple, not just a fan who admires him from afar? Consider the demands and rewards of being a true disciple, moving from fan to devoted follower in your relationship with Christ. A disciple is a devoted follower because I believe that Christ is the author of life. He's the good shepherd who will lead me into life. I'll talk more on the subject of obedience next week, uh, but I wanted to introduce that. Well, you were given a handout when you came in the day. Does everybody have a copy of this? If not, well, Chris, you don't have a copy? You need four copies. Yeah. Give Chris four copies. He really needs to hear this. <laughs> That's a joke. Come on. <laughs> no more than I do, brother. Um, you're given a handout, and it says personal engagement in God's Word on the top. And if you open it up and look at the bottom, there's an acronym there that says START. Start each day um, at the bottom of the page. And I would like to give you an assignment for next week, in addition to making the food for the potluck. There's another assignment. Okay. Um, today, I've been talking about what could, why would we choose to live our lives as disciples of Christ? And to me, it's because of who he is and his promises that we've been talking about. But next Sunday, I'm going to speak on if we choose to live our lives as disciples of Christ, what does that look like? And if you look on the back side of this sheet, you'll see something that looks like a wheel. And what this is, these are six elements that are critical to growing in your relationship with Christ. Christ being the center of your life, Lord, walking in obedience, and then the word, the prayer, witnessing, and fellowship. And there's three verses or three passages on each one of the different parts of the wheel. And so my assignment for you this week is I'd like you to take these six elements and I'd like you to have some time in the Word every day, six days, between now and next Sunday. And on the front side, again, it has a little acronym, S-T-A-R-T. -T. See it here? This is a, uh, I call it a trellis. It's, it's something you can build your rose bush on. The trellis isn't the purpose of a, of a garden, but it allows you to have a rose bush, right? So this is kind of a trellis that you can build on. S-T-A-R-T. So this is the acronym I'd like you to use this week. S is set aside some time. Start with 10 minutes. Just set aside some time. T, start with thanksgiving, praise, and adoration. Tell God you love him and what you appreciate about him. A is ask the Lord to open your uh, ears and mind and heart as the disciple, eager to hear from the master. R is read, reflect, record, passage by passage. 
And T is talk to the Lord about what he highlighted to you, how to apply it personally, who you could share it with, and your upcoming day. So it gives you a little format. If you have that format, you sit down in the morning, plus you kind of read through the Bible chapter by chapter by chapter. You know where to start each day. You start with start, S-T-A-R-T. And then as you grow, you can change it, you can move it around. Um, but it gives you a place to start. Uh, the notes from my sermon today and this handout are on my website that you can refer back to if you'd like. It's on the bottom of this, this page here. createdandloved.com backslash summit. So it has this on here plus some other resources. Well, let me close with the Bible passage that God gave me for my 60th birthday. Uh, every year uh, on my birthday since I turned 40, I've asked God to give me a verse for my birthday. So about three months before, I start looking. And I have, it's been so much fun to see different verses that God will impress on my heart. But the one he gave me for my 60th birthday is this one, Psalm 73, 23, and 24. It says, Lord, I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you'll take me into glory. Wow. Wow. What a Savior. Friends, <clears throat> make a decision to become a wholehearted disciple of Christ and then grow in that. Thanks for tuning in to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you live for more.